0: Today we have two guests who will be talking about something that is actually the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Five million, over five million people in America, 35 million people worldwide are living with Alzheimer's and that really is the focus of today's program and both of our guests, Mr. Greg O'Brien and Dr. Molly Perdue Both will talk to us about living with Alzheimer's. Greg is a former editor and publisher of the Cape Codder and Registered Newspapers. Greg is a former editor of Cape Cod Life. He was a founding managing director of a community newspaper in Boston. He is the editor and author of several books, has published 17 books by other writers through his publishing affiliate, Codfish press. Greg O'Brien, welcome to Mind
1: Talk. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you.
0: Now Greg, you have clearly spent your lifetime as a writer, reporter. You've written and produced documentaries, and you've also uh, been a screenwriter. Today, though we don't talk about any of those things necessarily, we talk about a diagnosis that you received several years back. What was that diagnosis? Well,
1: it was about six years ago. Uh, I received a diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's uh, after um, horrific memory loss, not recognizing people in familiar places, poor judgment, loss of continence, uh, and rage. Uh, by Putting in perspective, my uh, maternal grandfather and mother died of Alzheimer's. My paternal uncle died of Alzheimer's about a year ago. And before my father uh, died, he was diagnosed with dementia. Um, I had all the brain scans and tests that confirmed the diagnosis. And uh, I also carry the Alzheimer's marker gene, uh, APOE4.
0: So what you are dealing with today as we speak is something that you've been dealing with for a while now, and that is a diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's, which really is a diagnosis that strikes fear into the into the hearts of so many people. Um, and clearly today you're going to be talking about what your life is like living with not only this diagnosis, but you've had some other medical challenges as well. Let me just break away from you, Greg, for a moment. I would like to introduce Dr. Molly Perdue. Molly Perdue is the author of Exploring the Experiences of Family Caregivers, Cape God's Cape Cod's Invisible Workforce, upholding the promise of Olmstead for people with Alzheimer's and dementia related disease. Dr. Molly Perdue is a founder and executive director of the newly formed nonprofit entity, the Alzheimer's Family Caregiver Support Center. Dr. Molly Purdue, I could go on and on about all the things that you have done and are doing, but I think I'll break away from that and welcome you to Mind Talk.
2: Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Brewer. I appreciate it. I, you know what we're what we're doing here on Cape Cod is that we're trying to uh, get the family involved because we believe that Alzheimer's disease and dementia related disease is actually an issue that everyone in the family has to find a way to resolve and 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 work within uh, the context of those diseases. So, so we're working very hard to try to create programming for everyone, um, you know, and what makes Greg's story so very, very important is that very rarely do you get to take an inside look at what an actual human being is going through as they experience the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease.
0: Absolutely, and Greg, you have chronicled your experiences in a book. Um, which I actually uh, was reading last evening. And, Greg, I have to tell you, there are times when it actually brought me to tears. What's the title of your book, Greg? Uh,
1: it's called "On Pluto, Inside the Mind of Alzheimer's. Um, and it's the first book written by an investigative reporter embedded inside the mind of Alzheimer's, chronicling the progression of his own disease. But this is a disease, if I could just point out, that it's not your grandfather's disease, and yes, my grandfather died of it. It isn't a disease, that's, and Molly can pick this up, it isn't a disease, and this is an important point for, you, for your listeners, it isn't a disease that hits when you're in your 80s. Um, it's a disease that can take 20, 25 years to run its course, like having a sliver of your brain shaved every day. And, um, the pathology of it can start when you're in your forties, the buildup of plaques and tangles before any, uh, of symptoms. It's a Stephen King thriller of a, uh, of a diagnosis. And, uh, there are many people, <clears throat> you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions like me walking around, able to communicate, um. It's it's not like invasion of the body snatchers, and but a lot of them are afraid to come forward and talk and get a diagnosis because they're afraid of the stigma, and they're afraid of losing their jobs. And, and as a society, we need to stand with them, and as uh, as the, and the Congress needs to start to which they've done a good job of needs to continue to appropriate funding for a cure.
2: And I think a lot you of know, and, uh, Molly, go ahead. Well, I was just going to just add on to that. I mean, what what Greg is talking about, which I think is a very pertinent fact that, that people need to start thinking about and trying to talk about is that there is so much fear and stigma around these diseases that many times people are kind of suffering in isolation So because they're so fearful that if they say something about what's going on that, you know, their employer, uh, you know, would not understand or even their family would not understand. And, and what I hear, because we run a lot of support groups for people like Greg, that are dealing with these symptoms is that they can even say something to their family and you know, their wife or their husband or their, their daughter or their son says, oh, this is just a part of normal aging. And the one thing we know is that the, this accelerated decline is not a part of normal aging. And, and until we can find ways to talk about these diseases accurately and honestly, can we help people that are isolated and are going through this, as Greg talked about, 20, 30 years of symptomology alone. Uh, you know, that's something we know we can do something about right now, and it's, it's why what Greg is doing is so important. You know, we, um, I've watched him step up in front of people and talk about what he's going through, and every person that is suffering in isolation, when they hear him speak, they feel empowered to connect to help and to try to see what they can do about their own lives and and that type of empowerment is critical you know it's just critical to reduce to the reduction of suffering around alzheimer's disease
1: the- you know just a, a final and, and then i'll shut up here um, <laughs> th- there's a difference between um, what we call the senior moment there's a difference between losing your keys and not knowing you have car keys there's a difference between um, Not remembering where you parked your car and not knowing you have a car. Um, Two years ago, at the the, uh, town dump transfer station is a polite word for it. uh, I uh, dropped our trash off and and then sat back and said, wow, how do I get home? Um, I could call my wife, my kids, friends. My four-door yellow Jeep was sitting right in front of me. And my brain in the moment would not tell me that Synapse and maybe Molly at some point uh, when you're ready, we'll talk about Synapse. My uh, my mind would not tell me that that was my Jeep, yellow Jeep sitting right in front of me, a big old yellow Jeep.
0: Greg, I While noticed... I talk
1: about... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: I, I noticed, Greg, that in your office, you have photographs and uh, prints of various things that you've written, articles that you've written, family and friends. How important is that for you to be surrounded by those visual reminders
1: well it it it, it becomes my uh my memory and um at times when uh i feel out of sorts um i go into my office and sit and i'm surrounded by all the things uh, that i did in my life and uh all the uh wonderful people you know family and friends that i love that are part of my life and uh it helps connect the dots and the dots are uh uh very difficult often in time to connect and Molly can speak to synapse and new pathways um, but yeah it, it, uh, it it's a place of peace if that makes sense to you.
0: It absolutely does
1: Well I, I and I think that I, I always tell people and again I'm not here to proselytize. We all have different views whether we see God the universe, or higher power whatever. I'm a traditional Irish Catholic she can figure that out but I'm not doing this alone. And, um, and so the other day, um, you know, I have, I got prostate cancer. I got, uh, uh, clinical depression, I have spinal stenosis and scoliosis and degeneration of my spine. I have, uh, Alzheimer's and, then I had, uh, a, a severe bronchitis, which was on the verge of walking pneumonia for, for four months. And so I, one morning I was angry and I reached up to God and I said, do you know who I am? Do you got a clue? And I, I want a I God who's like a Bill Belichick coach, tough coach. And I heard back from God, yes, dumbass, I made you and I have you right where I want you. And I said, okay, well then we can move on. And we all need a purpose in life. So. <laughs>
0: well, there you go. On that note, Greg O'Brien, Dr. Molly Perdue, we're going to take a break, but we will be right back with more of this conversation. <laughs> Greg O'Brien, Dr. Molly Perdue, the experiences that Greg has had and is having with respect to the Alzheimer's experience. They include not only memory loss which is significant and difficult and painful enough but Greg in in your book, certainly on Pluto, Inside the Mind of Alzheimer's, you talk about the difficulty with problem solving, the confusion with time, place and words. You talk about seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and feeling things that aren't there. You talk about not having had feelings in parts of your feet and your hands and your lower extremities for almost two years. To both of you, are these typical experiences for folks who experience Alzheimer's? Is there any such thing as a typical experience for folks who are dealing with Alzheimer's?
1: I'll answer that first and then... Turn over to Molly. I always tell people okay. uh, all I did in high school was cut up a frog, but um, it's been told to me that Alzheimer's is like a snowflake. There are no two patterns that are alike. And um, where there are common symptoms, uh, I don't know that there's a, uh, and that's what makes it so difficult to cure that there's a common profile in terms of symptoms. There were some people go into tremendous rage as I do. Other people, it's different. And and I think some of it, and I'm kind of curious what Molly has to say, may have something to do with the type of person we are, what our DNA, our psychological makeup, because when the brain uh, starts to shut down, um, I think it has an impact on those character traits that we have. And Molly, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think I think you're completely correct, Greg, and it, it's true. Everybody goes through this disease uh, differently, and what what I think is is very important is that every person needs support uh, when you have a misperception, which we uh, we call hallucination. And I think Greg can talk specifically to this one symptom of his disease. Uh, it's very frightening, and you know, it's important to to be able to talk to someone about your experience. And, you know, we run a lot of support groups for people that are in early stages of these diseases. And in one support group, we had a person that came that had had their first uh, misperception and wanted to talk about it because they were nervous that they did not know how they were going to be in future social situations in case they had another hallucination so they were a little taken back they didn't know how they were going to kinda go on with their life after they experienced this symptom of their disease and so what we were able to do in that support group was talk about it talk about strategies to deal with it and this is why the support is so important is because every person is an individual snowflake so what happens to one person it may not happen like that for the next person and so providing this type of support allows everyone to deal with their own symptoms and find a way to develop strategies. And and Greg is, you know, he's he could teach strategies because he developed so many of these for himself as he moves through this disease that it's, it's really uncanny, and he has a lot to share. And, Greg, I don't know if you could talk to that one symptom of misperception or hallucination, but I think some of your your stories are just,
1: you know, really heartwarming. So. Well, I, I, um, you know, I deal, and, and sometimes the, uh, uh, misperceptions or hallucinations, whatever you want to call it, are, are scary. And, and sometimes there are platoons of spiders crawling across the uh, ceiling in this all times of day and then floating down right in front of me. Uh, but my mother had, had, uh, Misperceptions, hallucinations where the floor would open and people would try to drag her through it and she told me they weren't real but they were scary in the moment so I just brushed them away Um, recently I was out in uh, um, California with my wife to give a speech and um, you know it was a nice we had to dress up nice and she said put your dress shoes on and I said I can't she said why not I said because there's a man standing in them and in the moment my mind told me there was someone standing in my shoes i have a uh, um good friend of mine i hang out with uh it's kind of like a, i call it like one flew over the cuckoo's nest with all my buddies because you gotta laugh at it so um we hang out together and uh he's a golfer and he told me that and and they have some big those big fluffy uh covers on his golf clubs and he yelled at his wife the other day and he was looking over his golf clubs and he said, there's a bunch of midgets staring at me. And, uh, and and it's okay to laugh. And, and Molly has a story about her mother. Molly, you want to tell that story?
2: Yes. Well, one of the ways that I got into doing this work is my mother had Alzheimer's and she lived with us while I was raising my two kids. Uh, we had my mother and we lived on a, in a house that overlooked the Cape Cod Bay she would look out into the bay and she would see a buoy out there and she would think that it was a woman that was drowning and and so she would tell me we have to call the police you know we have to get some help and and what i learned through that i mean i was also working on my phd in this area so it was very interesting to have all those the conflation of all those things happening at once but what i learned was that and and this is this comes back to your original question was that how we created the context for which my mother had that hallucination made a difference so instead of saying to her uh, you're not seeing that that's not a woman you know you trying to talk her out of it if i found a way to make the day enjoyable and to say wow she's doing really well oh, she's she just swam to safety i think we're okay she was able to do better in that misperception when she was at that point of the disease. Now, the other interesting thing about my mother is that she could have that hallucination, and in five seconds she could say, hey, it's four o'clock, we got to turn on Oprah, you know, because it was not something where, you know, you, you kind of move in and you move out of these symptoms. And so helping families learn to understand how to deal with many of these symptoms helps everybody. It helps the person that is experiencing them it also helps that that family member know what to do to to make the situation okay
1: and, and that's like uh, in in Alzheimer's it's like a a light going on and off and um uh you know sometimes the light goes off it's like there's it goes back on it goes off but Molly's story about her mother um is at four o'clock and that's when the light went back on she was watching Oprah Oprah meant everything to her and um that's that's how the disease works. Molly, I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: No, no, that's no, that's great. That's great. It's true. It's it's really true, and it's you know it's why we have to keep putting shows like this. I mean, Dr. Brewer, thank you for putting shows like this out there because we have to find ways to educate everyone. You know, as you as you mentioned in your opening, you know, with you have with 5.2 million people nationally, uh, it's really important that everyone um, gets information and. And one of the things Greg does when he speaks is you know, he asks, is there, any, is there anyone in the crowd that, that has Alzheimer's? And, and he's starting to start this conversation so people that were once fearful are able to step out. And then you ask the question, how many of you have a family member uh, or know someone that has this disease? And almost every hand in the room goes up, and it goes up lecture after lecture.
0: Greg, you speak in your book about working on cognitive reserve, that your doctors have told you that that's part of what you're doing as you continue to speak and write and do do so many of the things that you did before. What's your sense of that, Greg? And, and, and Molly, what's your thought about that that notion of cognitive reserve?
1: In, in simplest forms, the way the doctors explain to me is that Cognitive reserve is like an extra fuel tank in your boat, and, um, and my mother had a cognitive reserve, and it's a it's a blessing from God. But um, when that reserve tank is gone, it's a it's it's a uh, a reserve tank of uh, intellect or ability, whatever. And these are all gifts. So, uh, well, but when that tank is gone, um, I'm gone. And they've told me to reserve preserve the tank, reserve it, and. Uh, I can't, I can't function in slow motion. So, um, I sprint. Molly, what do you think?
2: Yeah, you know what's interesting about cognitive reserve is that for someone like Greg, he's working really hard every day to help others, kind of find ways to to, to move through this disease. And his, you know, his efforts are inspirational in this way because many times we don't know how to think about what a person is going through, and now we are given some insight. And by, by being given insight, people can find ways, in their own way, to be courageous, and and that is critical. That is critical. Sometimes I, I hear people in the medical field talk about cognitive reserve as well, you know, he worked really hard to to fool us, you know, to hide his, his disease symptoms, and, and the realities are people... Are working hard because they want to have purpose in their lives. They want to connect to the people in their lives, and they want to continue to have fulfilling lives. And and to that purpose, you know, it is our responsibility to find ways to support people like Greg and, and their families in a way that they can that can help them continue moving to that purpose. Uh, you know, I, I think that that is a very important message that we. We need to get out there.
0: And and Doctor, you have uh, referred to Greg as an American hero. I think we know what.
2: It's true. It's true. He hates it when I say that. You know, we, <laughs> we speak and I always say, you know, you're my hero, and I say that when we're not speaking in front of anyone. And it and it's true. Greg Greg provides inspiration to me, as my mother did, and as his mother did to him. You know, this this is a disease that many of us are touched by our families and, and we know that there has to be some innovative ways that we can find a way to make a difference, to help the next generation. Until a cure is found, you know, it is it, it is upon us, you know, it's the challenge of our time to find ways to do this for each other, to reduce the suffering and to reduce the suffering now. And I do feel very strongly about that. and. Uh, you know, I I would do you know I would help Greg and I would do anything to help him further his cause and I do believe that that anyone should pick up his book on Pluto is an amazing book. I think it will help people understand what's going on, and I would highly recommend it to any of your listeners.
0: And I have to uh, echo do, that, uh,
1: Doctor, uh, Doctor Brewer. I, I, I'm no hero. Okay, um, I, I'm again. I, I get back to my soul <laughs> issue. Uh, I, I'm. I'm I'm doing what I feel God, the universe, whatever has told me to do. Um, I'm an ordinary guy. I uh, I tell people I've committed every sin in life other than adultery or murder, and I've been tested in both. So... I'm no I'm no hero and 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 that makes me anxious when people say
0: Well that. we we don't want to make <laughs> sorry, you anxious sorry, Greg. but <laughs> but but you know Greg I I I hear you that this has really been draining on you and I'm going to let you go in just a second but as I let you go I would just like to share with the listeners a quote from you in which you say my brain used to be my best friend But today, I see no chance for reconciliation. And so I've learned to write and speak from the heart, the place of the soul. Today, I am here to encourage you on your journey. And with that, Greg, I have to say once again, thank you so very much for joining us today. Dr. Um, Perdue, if you would just hang on for a moment. There are some other things that I would like to ask you to talk to us about. But, Greg, thank you again.
1: Okay. God bless you, Molly. I'll talk to you soon.
2: All right. Okay, Greg. Take care.
1: All right.
0: See you. All right. And again, folks, you were listening to Greg O'Brien, who is the author of on Pluto, inside the mind of Alzheimer's. And again, Dr. Purdue, I have to completely uh, agree with you. The book is extraordinary. Um, I actually looked through the book, um, and there were places in which it brought me to tears. It is an extraordinary journey that is so honest and so powerful. Dr. Purdue, Greg talked about being diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. What does early onset mean? I mean, most people think about an Alzheimer's diagnosis, I would suggest is, you know, you're 70, you're 80, you're 90. But he was diagnosed much earlier.
2: Yes, Greg Greg was diagnosed at 59. And if you're diagnosed before the age of 65, uh, they call it early, early stage, early onset Alzheimer's. And uh, when you look at the figures in the United States, 5.4 million people, a, a quarter a quarter million, 250,000 roughly, uh, are, are symptomatic before the age of 65. So it, it's really the onset just happens earlier in your lifespan than it does for, for most others. Uh, there is a familial type of Alzheimer's that is a very low percentage of people have that. And that is, if you look at the Colombian families that are being studied, maybe nine out of eleven people may end up with uh, familial Alzheimer's in a family if they have that diagnosis. And that's rare; that's around one percent of the of the population. So, you're not talking about, you know, the 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 genetic link in familial uh, being for the later onset, or even for many people that may have early onset but not have that that genetic link. So. It, it, so to that
0: when when there is um uh a family history of dementia should you be concerned should you assume that this is something that you will experience as well
2: so the correlation is not a one-to-one correlation so the best way risk was ever explained to me by a neuroscientist and i heard this from lisa genova who wrote the book, Still Alice, and she talked about your risk factor increasing. So if your maternal mother has Alzheimer's, you have an increased risk. If you're, you know, if another family member has Alzheimer's, you know, you have an increased risk. If you have poor cardiovascular health, you have an increased risk. If you're a diabetic, you have an increased risk. And Obviously, the number one risk factor that I mentioned earlier is age. So as you get older, you have an increased risk. So, so all of these things, if you were to think of it as the hands on a clock, your risk increases until you very, have a very, very high risk factor if you have all of those things that could contribute to you becoming symptomatic. So uh, you know, what we know about brain health, and we're just at the beginning of understanding how, how taking care of our brain will impact our health Later on in the life, but we're we know now what's good for the heart is good for the brain, and we know about exercise, and we know about trying to remain stimulated socially, like not isolating, being out and and having positive social interactions, and and many of the things that we know are important around healthy aging, we can apply to good cognitive health, and so getting you know getting out and not being sedentary as you age and having time with your friends, really, really critical. And this, this is what we're learning about brain health now.
0: Dr. Purdue, I, I want to thank you as well for having joined us today on this edition of Mind Talk. There's a website that I think you can share with the audience if they would like additional information.
2: Our website is alzheimerscapecod.org. So alzheimerscapecod.org.
0: Thank you again so very much for joining us today, Dr. Molly Perdue. Uh, Director of Family Services at Hope Healthcare of Cape Cod. Thank you, Dr. Purdue. Okay.
2: Thank you, Dr. Brewer.
0: And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. You can listen to this program and all Mind Talk programs on demand at mindtalk.org. That's m y n d t a l k dot o r g. Mind Talk is provided daily as an educational public service and is not intended to replace treatment or consultation with a medical, mental health, or other professional. The managing producer is Jim Brown in 26 by 2 Communications. You are encouraged to send your questions or comments to Pamela, that's P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. And remember, always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. Take care.